What is going on, Shula Bowl Pod fans? Welcome back to another episode of the illustrious Shula Bowl Podcast. As always, brought to you by the fine folks. You know the drill. Ethan Skolnick, the proprietor and CEO of Five Reasons Sports, your home for South Florida sports news. Eric Henry, FIU beat writer, SB Nation. Joined by the man, the myth, the legend, and I am not going to say uh, making his return because he reminded me last week he's been on like the last five episodes but <laughs> mr david hondel uh david i know you are coming off of a really eventful past like what week and a half or so that you were uh in scotland right you were over in europe so you um missed fiu season opener or at least missed it live i know you and, and the hondels were still following along uh due to the inventions of technology and other things but uh yeah man, i think you just got back this weekend so first off how have you been and uh how, how are things i've been good eric uh yeah it was, it was a really fun trip uh it was like a fan we went my entire family terrible timing obviously you can blame my mother and i doubt she's listening but um, <laughs> but no, it was a re- really good time and just like a cr- kind of crazy historical coincidence that I was literally – so we did Scotland the first seven days and then we went to London for the final three days and we were in London when the like the whole Queen's death thing happened uh, and it, even more surreal, I was literally at Buckingham Palace when they announced it. Um, so it was like one of those moments that you're just like, what the heck is going on? You're like looking around, like everyone's like obviously freaking like, like freaking out. And it, you're just like, wow, like I can't believe I'm here for this. Like, why am I here for this? Like, I should not be here for this. This seems like something I should not be here for because I don't care for it. So I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just like sticking out like a sore thumb, like a tourist taking pictures in, in a, in a Nike sweatshirt, throwing my thumbs up at, at Buckingham palace while people are like mourning or like, like wait. Cause it was like, Right before the news dropped, and like people around me are like, are like, like terror, like you know, there for like to, to you know, be there for history, and I'm right. there like taking terrorist pictures, like <laughs> you know what I mean, like. It, and then when you look, I look back on like, like I literally I landed Sunday, Sunday night or Sunday late afternoon, and and it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, I can't believe that actually happened while I was there. It was like a surreal moment, but um, you know, it was really cool. Uh, I was able to go. I'm a big golf guy, so I was able to go to St. Andrews. Um, nice, so nice. Really cool. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. And then I, it was funny. We had to – obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, we didn't miss the first game, um, but we were watching. And I – especially this last one, the Texas State game, uh, we watched at 1 in the morning at like a rooftop bar. I brought my laptop. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we were able to watch it there. And then luckily I was able to catch the first half of the opener – in Miami, I was at the airport, so I was able to watch it there and then caught the second half, um, you know, kind of virtually. But, um, yeah, no, 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 all good. It feels good to be back. Um, and, yeah, I am ready. Well, I'm ready for, I guess, a weekend break. But um, I am actually ready to be a full night this weekend as they take on the FAU Owls. <laughs> we will have plenty of FAU coverage for the FAU audience. We are joined by Kevin Fielder this evening of Owls 247. Also have a special guest, uh, my friend, Mr. Trace Trilco of the Sons of UCF podcast. Uh, they do a great job covering the nights. They do a uh, uh, online show, but they also you can find them on YouTube and the podcast as well. Trace does a great job covering all of UCF athletics. He comes on after Kevin to give a preview of the Knights and a game that Kevin called 
the biggest game in recent memory for FAU. And, you know, I, I can't help but uh, agree with them. You know, obviously the success that FAU has had in terms of winning two conference titles. And listen, those things are all great. Like those things are the foundation of your football program. But I think for the FAU audience, the FAU fan base, this one, uh, and you know what, David, really quick, before we talk about FIU, uh, I, I want to ask you this, right? Like, let's just, Let's flip it here for a second, because obviously FIU would have had, unfortunately for, for COVID, um, canceled the series, but FIU would have had two extremely big games against UCF. They would have had the uh, 20, oh my gosh, this was 2020 and 2021 series, if memory serves me correct. Yeah. No, no, no. It was a 2020 and 2022 series yeah. uh, is what it would have been, David. Uh, a question that, you know, uh, for to bring our listeners behind the curtain here, I've pre-taped those interviews. So uh, I know what I asked <laughs> Kevin and Trace ahead of time, but I'm going to ask it here for David. David, if UCF had, especially, you know, for all intents and purposes, if they had come to FIU Stadium, uh, despite the fact that they are not the same Knights of 2017, 2018, the early part of 2019, but still one of the top group of five programs, they're entering the Big 12. We know uh, about the high profile with Gus Malzahn and a lot of the guys they have on in the program. Um, would you have considered that game, which obviously, again would have taken place this year, actually would have, you know, would have just be coming off as a matter of fact. Um, would that have been one of the biggest games or not, if not the biggest game in, in recent history for FIU football? Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and UCF, even though, you know, obviously it's not the 2017-2018, UCF, UCF is one, still one of the top dogs, and I will always say they are one of the most well-known programs now. At, like, I, I would find it shocked that anybody doesn't know who UCF is. So, I, you know, I, I, I love UCF. I think it would definitely be the second biggest game because the Miami game just is, is different. Sure, just because, sure. Yeah, like, the, um, you know, the history on that, but – um, 100% would be the second biggest game in my long time. Like I, and, and obviously, we happened to be a part of their undefeated season in 2017. Uh, we kind of kicked that one off. Um, but, yeah, definitely would be one of the biggest games. And if it was at home, it would probably be the biggest crowd we've had in a long time. So just to bring the FIU fan base in here, I do plan on, and uh, you know, if Scott hears this, and I guess I'm tipping away one of my future questions, I do plan on asking Scott Carr uh, down the road if he plans on trying to um, essentially get that series back on the books for FIU. So stay tuned for that. But as Eric, we, I, I actually heard that the reason we're not playing is because UCF was scared to play us. I, I did. I, I heard that same reason. Yes, that they were so scared that they decided to actually take the game at FAU instead. So exactly. the fact that the that the UCF Knights are scared of FIU is the reason that is FAU's benefit. We all know that's the case. I roll uh, heavily here on my end, David. As we uh, transition to the uh, the Texas State game, uh, really just want to get your thoughts. I mean, you know, we're now two days or three days removed from it. Uh, I've written two articles on it. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of my commentary on Twitter from the trying to uh you know make an appeal to uh a small portion now i, I don't think it's a actually i'll let you opine as to how much what percentage you think it is I, I don't think it's a large portion of the fiu fan base but a portion that seems to be in the panic or in a panic given the 41 to 12 loss that saw texas state really dominate this game for the better part of uh you know three and a half quarters i mean really the, the entire game is a matter of fact fiu did have some chances but offensively were really stifled grace and james 
got the start, as we all know. I believe he went, let's see, 30, 30 of 47 for 196, two interceptions. Hayden Carlson came on to finish the evening in the last drive. 5 of 9 for 55 yards. The run game was a real non-factor. Tyrese Chambers, 10 catches for 72 yards. So really offensively very much stifled. Uh, on the defensive side, Donovan Manuel and Gaethan Bernadelle led the way with 14 tackles and 10 twackle, 10, 12 tackles, respectively. But David, again, I, I have a pint enough on this game. Really want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, um, I it's definitely a, a small portion. And Eric, you're very nice, but I, I'll go on and say it. Um, hey, underdog and Tony, please just stop tweeting. I mean, you just need to get out of here. Um, anywho, um, I, I I am in the in the part, in, I guess, part of the fan base that probably thought this game shouldn't have been forty-one to twelve. But I am also not in panic mode because I'm also not expecting us to win a ridiculous amount of games. Like, I, I if you thought my thirteen and one predictions were any sort of truthful thought that I had, um, it, it wasn't. I wasn't expecting, a, you know, a, a huge season. It's a complete rebuild year. We have a complete new coaching staff, a lot of new players, a lot of different, you know, a lot of turnover there. And I wasn't expecting to come out and, and light up every every game. Um, t- this is a game that, you know, we were two score underdogs for a reason. Um, and... You know, I, I think it got a bit out of hand. Um, I think that I think it could have been closer. Um, but for people that are extremely upset that we lost this game, I mean, it, it's kind of tough to <laughs> um, to to tell you that there's going to be more losses along the way. Uh, because listen, at the end of the day, I, I want to fight you to win every single game. But I'm also realistic in the fact that you know, like I said, it's a complete rebuild year. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, not shocked. Uh, I, I was a bit, you know, I was like, oh, damn, did we really have to lose by this much? But not shocked that we lost, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, there's definitely a lot of things that – and kind of we, we did a little pregame uh, Twitter spaces and, and yeah, shout out yeah. to all those that, that, that were able to join that. And, and I said, I mean, the biggest weakness after that I saw week, after week one, number one was the O-line, which – that was pretty apparent in this game as well. I mean, Grayson James, uh, he was pressured, I think, on every single snap. Um, they, they, the, the running game was non-existent. Um, so the O-line is definitely the biggest concern in my eyes. And and the score's not going to say this, but I actually thought the defense played a lot better in this game for at least the first half. Um, or like at least, yeah, like around the first half than they did in Texas day. And they got a few big stops. We just couldn't really do anything with it. And then, you know, when you give an offense a billion opportunities, they're going to convert on, you know, a good amount of them. Um, so I, 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 the defense is still obviously not where I want it to be, but it's a work in progress. I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep letting this team grow, letting the coaching staff grow with this, you know, this lineup and, and see where we go. I mean, we've got two games that I, I going to the season considered our two most winnable games, and that is UConn and New Mexico State. Uh, but after that, it's going to be very tough uh, to find any W's, and we'd have to pull off pretty much a big upset. Um, and, and so, and that's not even me guaranteeing wins against UConn and New Mexico State. But I think these are going to be two games that we can pull off W's and hopefully build momentum going forward. But 
I think this is, I know it's an early bye week, but it, it it's, I guess, a good one um, just to kind of, you know, reset. And because and I think there was definitely a lot of hype after week one, even though it was Bryant. But, you know, it was a bit of a reality check, I guess, to some of the fan base that, you know, this isn't a team that, you know, you should be expecting to dominate every game. Like there has to be a source of realism that this is a rebuild. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I lie. Uh, I still think there were positive. I mean, Tyree Chambers doing all he can. He's still a stud. Uh, I still, you know, Grayson was a bit shaky in this game, but he also had no time, like, like 90% of the time. And so he's obviously, this is his second, this is his first start, but his second real, like almost, full game experience and so he's just going to continue to get better and I think that you know I think we're going to be seeing a different team um I guess New Mexico State well uh New Mexico State is after Western Kentucky so you know still have to get that one out of the way but as you mentioned it's two two Bowling Green Kentucky uh in 10 11 days and then New Mexico State so uh, I want to make sure I end up in the right location next week for work. Uh, David, <laughs> uh, you mentioned the youth of this football team and also the throws on the offensive line. Uh, let's go and toss it to Mike McIntyre, who talked with me post game about the fact that this is a very young team. And he also spoke about some of the issues on the offensive line. Here's uh, Mike McIntyre. We're so young. They're fighting hard. Um, you know, they made some good plays against us. We kind of gave them a few things there. Um, they kept battling, and they kind of got away at the end. Um, but I, I'm really proud of how hard they're fighting and how they're, they're trying to do what we ask them to do and keep working at it. It's a, you know, it's a process. Well, you know, uh, Julius had a you know, an ankle sprain. They weren't able to practice all week. And then John did some good things out there, and then we were rotating some guards and tackles. Um, and, uh, and then Julius came back in at the end. Uh, came in and, and did well there at the end. So hopefully his paint is going to keep getting better. Um, but he didn't practice all week. Um, just did some walkthroughs and that type of thing. You know, John Box would be a really good player. He can play center or guard for us. I mean, his freshman who started guard one game, he played center this game. I mean, it's hard to do. And uh, I'm, you know, really pleased with where, where he's headed and, um, and, and from there. So we'll, we'll keep working on offensive lines like we're working on our team. Just keep go to go gradually improving and, uh, and we'll end up getting some done. All right. And you heard that sound from Mike McIntyre postgame when I asked him about the youth of this team and the offensive line, as noted, David. And I do want to pitch it to you on your thoughts really quick on a couple more things before we uh, transition out off of this contest. You mentioned the offensive line being a factor. Grayson James didn't really have much time, I believe. Texas State was credited with three sacks and seven quarterback hurries. Again, a, a quarterback hurry is an official stat in that you affected the, the the quarterback's pass, you know, in terms of defensive line. But it's almost an unofficial stat in that a, a lot of things <laughs> could be considered a hurry. Like that number, that number could have easily been double if you really wanted it to be. You got to take into fact and take into account, David, the fact that John Bach got to start at center, as you heard Mac talk about in that sound. Not very often you're going to see a true freshman his first two games start A at guard and then B at center. Julius Pierce was out. And Lindell Hudson, as I noted in my postgame notebook, has been banged up all through fall dealing with that back injury. You know, uh, I, I had a, a member of the FIU staff say to me that they played four walk-ons. The number I had it, as, uh, the number I had it at was three, but still um, of their 10 offensive linemen, you got three walk-ons. You got a pair of tr- uh, a, a true freshman making his first start or making, uh, making his first career starts. You got Julius Pierce, uh, another first-time starter. So, David, 
um, I want to go not necessarily small picture in, spec- in specificity of this game, but the long game. What are you looking for from the offensive line? Because, I mean, this is something that I hope Panther fans realize, for better or worse, we're not really going to be able to assess any quarterback on this team, any of the running backs or, or you know, any of the skill position guys without that offensive line growing. So, David, just from what you know of the guys on, on the roster, and again, I'll run them down, <clears throat> just give you a quick refresher. You know, Lindell, John Bach, Julius Pierce, Shamar Habdi Lee, um, D.A.V. Hammond, Jacob Peace, um, I believe Sam Hill, Sebastian LaRock were to pair the walk-ons who played, um, and Bo Blanchard as well. Quick note on Bo, uh, David. Uh, it is, what, September 13th we're taping this. I believe, uh, I'm going to try to remember Bo's birthday off the top of my head. He was born, I want to say, April 9th of 2004. So I only mention that to say he's, what, five months removed from his 18th birthday, and he's out there trying to defend a bunch of fifth and sixth year guys on Texas state's defensive line. So a uh, big, big picture on the offensive line, David, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, there, there's, I mean, we're, we're starting a true freshman at center. I mean, the only thing that you can just hope is that they, they just get better each game, but it's one of those things that I'm not expecting them to have some crazy turnaround. I'm hoping that they do, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see improvement as the season goes on. But it's it's a thing that we, we have so many young guys that it's it's more of a it's like damn like <laughs> we're gonna have to like maybe suffer for a year and then you know when they come back next year have a full season under their belt they're gonna be a more you know in sync O line because it also takes into a fact that you know obviously you've got true freshmen on the team on the the line which means this is their first season playing with the guy to the right or left and so it's like trying to build that chemistry on the line is something that, you know, you hope to see also grow throughout the season. But once again, I'm not really expecting anything crazy just yet because, you know, it's, 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 it's a very inexperienced group. So um, the only thing that you can just kind of wishful thinking is, is hoping that they do get better and they, they at least get more reps in it and get more comfortable with their assignment and, and the, the way we play is a lot of you know quick passes and so you're hoping to maybe relieve some pressure off the QB. But I think something that I that I would do want to see going forward is is at least some sort of improvement in the run game because we have not been able to run at all the first two games. Um, but once again, that's just something that I think we might have to be kind of realistic about this season is that the O line is going to have its bumps and just you know hopefully by the end they they really are experienced and 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 yeah like hopefully well they our our old lines you know pretty much much better next year that's kind of the only way i can kind of look at it right now last two questions for you david and then we'll transition away from this game uh gonna keep on the offensive side of the ball the hot topic i guess amongst the vocal minority of fiu fans who had their frustrations was david yost's offense and uh, for better or worse, I mean, this is something that I, I've noted even coming into the year. This is the David Yost offense. I, we talked about it. Uh, I know I wrote about it. I know Walter Villa wrote about it. David Yost even said it. We're going to look to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly into the hands of playmakers, whether that's on swing passes, screens, et cetera. Um, how much of that is to compensate for an offensive line, as you mentioned, is extremely young? I don't know. But just as a, from a fan's perspective, and I, I'm going to put you in the in the realm of a reasonable fans. What are your thoughts on the David Yost offense from what you've seen through two weeks? 
Yeah, I, I've definitely seen a lot of complaints, and I've I've also had a a few complaints with it, just purely because a lot of it has like some of the decisions are a bit questionable. Like, why are we continue to like throw it behind the line of scrimmage on a third and two, or or try these crazy end arounds, um, and and work so much in the back, like behind the line of scrimmage when we just need to get like a couple yards. But I also think that it, it is compensating a lot for the O-line. A lot of the reason why we run so many screens and quick passes, besides it you know, being a, a key part of his actual game plan, is probably also to compensate for that, the line. Um, and so there's, there's not much that like, – like with this type of young offensive line, you can't expect David Yost to run this full spread offense where he's Patrick Mahomes – throwing bombs every other play, you know, like, like they're, the, the, the quarterback needs, needs time for that. So I, I personally, there's, there's, it's, it's also like, I'm not going to be too crazy. It's, it's the first two weeks of the season. Um, I, I so far haven't had like too crazy of like, what's the word? Um, I'm blanking out, but I, I I'm not, worried about the David Yost offense just yet. Uh, I think it's still also getting in the groove of things. Um, and I, the, I have seen some really creative calls, which I have really liked. I've also seen a lot of, uh, of calls that are a bit questionable, but you know, once again, I think it's more compensating for the line and, and uh, trying to play this fast paced type of offense. Um, so I, as of now, I have a couple complaints, but I'm not like on the jump ship boat yet I, I i think you know like for example in the in he's the one that story that he's the one that called that two-point conversion based off you know the defense running that exact same scheme three times earlier and, and picking that up like picking things like that um i think he's just going to get more comfortable with it as it goes and you know but it's definitely something we do have to expect that you know this is going to be a quick play offense we kind of need that going in and you just better get used to 90 screens a game. <laughs> all right. Those are all, you know, I think those are points that I think from the FIU fan base, they're making, um, you know, my thing is this again, um, it's been eight quarters. I, I think as with the, the majority of this team, you got to play the long game here. Let's see them grow into this offense and, and really kind of grow into some of the things they're doing. And so that is the recap of the Texas state game. Mike McIntyre said in his weekly presser earlier today, as a matter of fact, we're, taping on Tuesday the 13th, that the quarterback competition will again be opened due to the fact that Gunnar Holmberg was banged up, got the concussion in the Bryant game. Of course, Grayson James came in, uh, was able to do some things in the Bryant game, leading the team to victory, and then started the Texas State game. And, you know, Mike McIntyre said, when I asked him after the Texas State about Grayson, he said that he felt that the stage wasn't too big for him, so that was confident. And then Hayden Carlson. First action, you know, the guy who Butch Davis said reminded him a little bit of Patty Mahomes and uh, would have started a few games if, if the season had been cut short. He finally got in the ball game with five and nine for 55 yards. So we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think I'll have a better idea of who's going to start at Western Kentucky come Monday or Tuesday of next week. But definitely will be interesting. You know, we're going to transition here to this FAU game. And I know, David, you uh, you had some thoughts for me <laughs> as far as uh, this one and some questions you want to ask or how do you want to take this, sir? Well, I just I just wanted because I just want to get your side of it because this I think this is the first time that we've been able on the pod have your actual school facing one of the Shula Bowl members, and obviously it's not me, um, so which is great. 
And then, uh, so that means I'm actually on your side here, Eric. I just want to, you know, get your thoughts on this UCF team, what you expect to see this weekend, and uh, maybe even a little score prediction. Well, first off, if it were FIU versus UCF, we wouldn't be doing this right now. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a good thing. Um, nah, uh, so this is kind of just my feeling on this game coming in here. As I've talked about, I, I really was hoping, just for the excitement level, David, that if UCF was able to beat Louisville, which don't get me started on that game, I, I was able to catch the second half of it uh, there in Austin, Texas, and the court their quarterback situation is one that's interesting with john john rice Plumley, and mikey keen in the effort of full disclosure i was a mikey keen guy entering the season but i do understand why for the gus malzahn offense they're going with the more athletic more dynamic john rice Plumley. but yeah uh, you get that many chances to score points last week and ucf wasn't able to do so especially on that last drive it looked like John Rice had a wide open running lane. He chose to throw and was incomplete. So a a lot of UCF fans aren't happy with him as far as his ability to to throw the football, but uh, it's early in the season. So we'll see. Um, Nevertheless, uh, I I do think this is a game that UCF wins just because when you look at the talent level, David, um, not that FAU doesn't have talent, but a, they're banged up. Evan Anderson's out. We'll see what's going up with TJ young, Jalen Joyner. A lot of those guys really like Eddie Williams. Um, uh, Larry McCammon, uh, Zuberry Mobley, of course, Nikosi Perry, all those guys. But I just don't think there's enough in my mind. I think it, when you look at the level of Power Five transfers that UCF brought, in, I think David, that's the this season for UCF kind of reminds me of the 20, 2019 slash twenty twenty season for FIU and why fans were so frustrated because when you have a level of success, right, that FIU had from seventeen to eighteen. And then you get those power five transfers, right? You get the JJ Hollamans and the Tyson Maevas, um, and you know, all those guys that come in. Josh, well, I mean, Josh Turner was a, was an excellent player for FIU, but Josh Turner's and others, right? And nothing happens. Uh, that's where it gets frustrating, right? And granted, again, it's only two two weeks into the year, but for UCF, they got guys from Alabama and, and guys from all these other schools, and the fact that seemingly, you know, it, it worked in South Carolina State, but the loss to Louisville was disappointing. So we'll see. Uh, my prediction is, uh, and I said this to Kevin Fielder, I think for FAU to win this game is going to be, need to be a shootout. I think UCF is going to look to move fast. You know, they are a team that does play fast, but without Evan Anderson, I'm expecting uh, our old friend, David, Tim Harris, Jr., the running backs coach there at, F- at UCF, almost at FIU, the running backs coach at UCF to have Isaiah Bowser uh, and company and those guys, you know, really in the running back room ready to go. So I'm thinking a final score of something like, 45-29, something like that, 45-30-ish in that range. Uh, and and man, that might even be a bit much. I honestly know that I put uh, UCF right now as their offense is still evolving as a two-score favorite, but I do think they're going to put up enough points to win this game. Um, I do think, however, um, it's going to be closer than maybe some UCF fans want, and that may be you know something that keeps them on edge as the season goes forward. And we'll see for FAU if they can spin that forward into playing Purdue. But yeah, uh, I will be there live uh, at FAU Stadium. I'm waiting to see if Mr. David Handel will be with me as I have uh, a pair of extra tickets. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, uh, looking forward to it. I, I have not, outside the Gatsby Bowl, which I told you guys was an experience, <laughs> um, I haven't gone to a regular season game as a fan in, God, a reg- oh my God. I haven't been to a regular season game as a fan, David, since I left college. Because the last, uh, prior to the, Prior to the Gatsby Bowl, the last game I went to as a fan was – oh, no, 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 I take that back. 
um, UCF USF 20, 20, 20, ooh, 2017. Um, yeah, that was the Quentin Flowers. Yeah, 20, 2017. Yeah, that was that was a regular season game. So yeah, damn, it's been five years since I've been to a regular season game as a fan. So been a while. Yeah, no. I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to get out there. Um I think it'd be definitely be fun <laughs> rooting rooting against Shane on the sideline. Oh, oh l- listen, really quick, I'm gonna cut you off. If you make it out there, we are going, Shane. If you listen to this podcast, we're going directly to the recruit section. We're heckling the shit out of you. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get a custom made shirt uh with with Shane and a clown nose on it, like the like that Roger Goodell one. Um and, <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no that's gonna be fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go to that game. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be high scoring, but I think UCF's gonna, you know, in the end pull away. I think they'll I'm with you. I think they'll win by two scores plus. Um and it'll be, it'll be fun to to be a night for a weekend. We will. Uh, I will indoctrinate you as best I can uh, for a weekend, David. That will absolutely be fun. But uh, but with that, uh, let's go and toss it to the first of our two interviews. Uh, got Mister Kevin Fielder from Owls Two Four Seven. Here's Kevin and I's conversation about the game. All right, Owls fans, want to go ahead and thank last week's guest. You guys know him, our old friend, old but still a uh, a good friend, Mr. Jake Elman, the former FAU beat writer for the Palm Beach Post, now just doing his thing independently and just an, an Owl fan out there enjoying uh, you know, his time away from the sports writing gig but still following the program. Appreciate, appreciate him making the time for coming on. But as I mentioned in our rotation of guests who will be filling the FAU role, and first off, it's 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 very appropriate to have someone fill this role um, outside of myself because this week, uh, as I mentioned in the previous interview, uh, I, I cannot pretend to keep my bias out of this. So it is why <laughs> he, can't, he can't even hold his laughter. It's why we've called in uh, the uh, publisher of Owls 247. He also does... Some fine work covering the American for a little site called Underdog Dynasty. That is Mr. Kevin Fielder. Kevin, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's going amazing. Uh, you know, I think it's finally here, game week for arguably the biggest game in recent FAU history. So, you know, just happy to be talking about this game as opposed to, you know, awaiting the inevitable of the game happening. Well, really quick, Kevin, you know, I was going to jump into a quick recap of Southeastern Louisiana and then, you know, preview uh, F, uh, preview UCF. Kevin, just curious, you know, and, and I'm not picking on you for this. I'm just generally curious. Um, a, is that the feeling uh, around Boca that this is the biggest game in a while? And B, um, just to show that I'm still trying to maintain some objectivity until we get to Saturday. Uh, if it is the case, why so? Because this is not the same UCF team from 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, they're, you know, it's not like they're ranked in the top 25. So I guess I'm just curious, A, if that is the feeling, and B, um, why is it that kind of that feeling in your mind? I think it is to an extent the feeling amongst fans because when you look at recent FAU history and you look, even going back to the Lane Kiffin days, uh, you know they won the conference championship. They've won the Boca Bowl. They've 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 done really well playing against teams that are about at their talent level or you know a little bit below it. But they have still not been able to get that huge sort of marquee win. And UCF has not been the same, uh, you know, the last few years. And they're they're not the same animal that they were when they were winning, you know, the 
the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl or, you know. National Championship, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry, National Championship. Um, But this is still one of the real marquee teams in the state, and they've established themselves as one of those real marquee teams in the state. And this is a team going to the Big 12, and this is a team that's, you know, in a lot of ways I think FAU wants to be. FAU fans want to be the next UCF because – you know, it's sort of built this blueprint that FAU can to an extent follow. And so being able to beat that team, uh, you know, at home in front of that big crowd, this would be the biggest home win that FAU has ever had because they, they haven't had that huge marquee win since Minnesota back in like 2010. Uh, and, and, you know, that wasn't huge because Minnesota back then obviously is not the same Minnesota that we have now, or, or you know, they have not developed the same. So, in a lot of ways, it feels like these next two weeks this week and then looking ahead to Purdue are sort of the biggest monkeys to get off the back for FAU, to, to get that big marquee program win that you know so many other schools have gotten this season and in, in recent history. But FAU just still doesn't have that real marquee win yet. No, I, I mean, I asked the question, but I do think those are all fair points you make. And as you talk about FAU making the transition to the American, UCF obviously leaving the American, going to the Big 12. We know the success that UCF has had the past few years. And still, you know, anytime you have an in-state game as is, I mean, that obviously adds a little bit more cachet to it. So um, I, I do think all those points are given, despite the fact that UCF is not a top 25 team. And again, I'm, I'm trying to keep my bias out here as much as I can until Friday or much till Saturday. Um, I, I personally would have liked to have seen what this game would have looked like if UCF would come in, had come in coming off of a win um, last week. And of course had FAU beaten Ohio, but uh, can't get that back. It's still a big game. So let's go ahead and really quick, Kevin recap the Southeastern Louisiana game, not looking for a full four quarter recap. I think the game was pretty self-explanatory. I did um, you know, playfully call you out on a tweet. I'm just hoping that you can expound on that a little bit more now that you're not confined to the, the limits of Twitter characters. Uh, you had said that the win over Southeastern Louisiana, 42 to nine, was one that was very impressive considering the fact that there was no Johnny Ford. There was limited uh, Jaquan Burton and Jamal Edrin, no um, Jalen Joyner, no Evan Anderson. So, and I said that, you know, hey, um, just playing devil's advocate, I said, Kevin, is that still the case concerning the fact that I would have liked to have seen them do that the week before at Ohio without some of those guys, but they weren't able to. Um, was it still the case? And you made the case that, yes, it was, considering the fact that uh, Southeastern Louisiana is, or at least they were entering that game, a top 25-ranked FCS team. What if you just go ahead and expound on that a little bit for our audience? Yeah, so this is a an FCS opponent. And I think when you're playing FCS opponents, the as as a as an FBS opponent, as, you know, a – even good power or group of five program, the undergoing theme is that, you know, this should be a blowout. And for FAU, it really much was a blowout in the fact that, you know, 42 to nine, it would never look particularly close. And, you know, they were able to get everything they wanted on offense and they held uh, Southeastern to like under 50 yards rushing. But this is still a really good FCS program. And this is one that last year beat two ranked teams. They beat Florida A&M. They beat I believe it was Nickel State, but you know the two teams that were ranked inside the FCS top twenty-five at the time of playing. This is a team that last season got really close to beating a, a fellow Conference USA opponent in Louisiana Tech. You know, this is a good Group of Five team or uh, FCS team rather. This is a team that you know can cause problems, and you know when 
very well could have probably beaten Louisiana in week one. If you look back and sort of watch how that game won, they had plenty of chances to get into that game and just weren't able to. Would you have liked to see the same success that you had, uh, you know, with so many guys out that you did or that, that you um, against Southeast Louisiana that you didn't see against Ohio? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that the Ohio game feels like one that FAU had a chance to win, had a chance to, you know, really capture uh, and then just got away from them. Uh, but winning college football is incredibly hard. Uh, you know, I, I think last week's college football slate really proved that, uh, you know, that winning in college football is a difficult task and winning consistently in college football is a difficult task. So I, I think for them, it's it's huge because it shows what the depth that FAU had been building. Uh, you know, you were at, without Evan Anderson, you were without uh, Jalen Joyner, you were without TJ Young. This is a team that were dealing with a ton of injuries, uh, you know, on offense and defense, but were able to find consistent performances outside of their star guys, which is encouraging heading into these next few games, not knowing the status of guys like Jalen Joyner, uh, Evan Anderson, who's out for UCF. Like this is as big a, a win in the sense of like, this is the depth that we've been building. This is a sign of the depth that we feel comfortable having, uh, you know, to, to the point where we can bring in a redshirt freshman at nose tackle who hadn't played much, uh, you know, prior to that game or, or prior to the Ohio game. So, it, you know, is it just Southeastern Louisiana to an extent? Yes. Uh, you know, should FAU have beaten Southeastern Louisiana? Absolutely. But still from, from the sense of like, this is the depth that we've been building this is what we're able to do with the team that we have. It's a very encouraging sign. Kevin, how good is Eddie Williams? Because if you ask a former co-host of this podcast, he would tell you that he is currently better than KD Davis, better than Tyrese Knight, better than Breon Hayward, better than any other linebacker in Conference USA. Um, but just curious your thoughts on how good Eddie Williams is. Eddie Williams has been a monster this year. I mean, he's been all over the place. Uh, I, I I don't think I'd go as far as to say that he is as good as like some of these marquee linebackers in Conference USA, uh, because we're talking about some really talented linebackers. But Eddie Williams has been a really critical part, uh, you know, to the way that you, uh, FAU wants to run their defense, and he's done really well at clogging up some of the holes, uh, you know, in the run game that have been left, uh, you know, with the uh, with the absence of an uh, of an Evan Anderson and. You know, the sky is really the limit for his talent. Uh, you know, there is so much that he is still, I think, learning how to do at such a high level. And it seems like every week he just gets better and better and better. Uh, you know, and it's very possible that at the end of the season, we're talking about a guy who is near the, the top of the conference USA linebacker ratings, even if he's not there yet. No, I know I said that somewhat in jest. Uh, what, what I what I said was not um, false. That that person, the former coach, did say all those things. But that was no slight to Eddie Williams. Eddie Williams is having a really great year. So I'm glad you made that point there, Kevin. Again, if you're just joining us, we are joined by Kevin Fielder. He is the publisher of Owls 247, also does some American work for Underdog Dynasty. Kevin, uh, let's transition to the UCF game. Two-part question. One, the status of some of the guys that you mentioned were banged up for Southeastern Louisiana. What is their status heading into Saturday's contest? And the second part of that question, if FAU is going to win this game, what will it need to be? What will need to happen in order for it to be? Yeah, so we spoke to Willie Taggart yesterday, and he was able to clarify some of the guys' uh, status. Um, you know, obviously not giving away the entire book, and it is still Monday, and we'll see how the rest of the week goes. But Jalen Joyner, who missed the who has missed the last two games, uh, Jamal Adrien, Jaquan Burton, uh, two wide receivers, 
TJ Young, he's all he's probable that they're all probable. Uh, I think there is a sense that at least two or three of these guys will be able to go. Uh, Evan Anderson is still out with some sort of injury that has not been completely disclosed, but this team seems to be getting a little bit close to being healthy. Uh, and, you know, I think to an extent there may have been some resting going on against Southeastern Louisiana, just because, uh, you know, there is still a long season and you don't want to, you know, injure too many guys early on in the year, but this is a team that really needs to get some of these guys back and just slowly, but surely hoping that a few of these guys uh, can get back for like the UCF game and the Purdue game. Uh, you know, they were able to get back to Carrius Hawthorne for Southeastern Louisiana. So th- there is some health coming back to this team, but right now it is still just has such an injured group with so much uncertainty. Uh, and then, you know, to beat F or UCF, I think it's comes down to this offense needs to keep firing on all cylinders, uh, you know, so far through three weeks and it's such a small sample size. They have been one of the better offenses, not only in group of five, but arguably in college football. And they've been super efficient, uh, you know, at scoring when they get into those positions to score and, and Kosey Perry, outside of last game, had not thrown an interception this season. Uh, you know, this is an offense that is capable of putting 45 points up on the board on any given night. And this is a team that is capable of blowing, uh, you know, the b- blowing teams out of the water with this offense and, and gaining so much momentum. And if you're going to beat a team like UCF, I think there are sort of two ways that you can do it. You can either try and turn it into a track meet and you can try and make it a, a game of, you know, whoever scores 30, 35 points first is going to win the game. Or you could try and turn it into a defensive battle of, you know, who can make the least amount of mistakes. And it feels almost like FAU's best chances of winning this game may be to turn it into a track meet and and try and get more points on the board because of how efficient that offense has been so far this season. It's interesting you said that, Kevin, because that's actually the feeling I have for FAU. Um, while I think in any other game this year, uh, or well, not say any other because I, you know, Purdue might be another one, but in specificity to UCF, um, any other game this year, I would say that FAU's defense needs to lead the way. Not to say that they don't have the, the, the horses offensively, they certainly do. But I think in this game, Saturday, if they're going to keep up with UCF, it's really going to be that outstanding game from Nikosi Perry, those receivers you talked about, and, uh, you know, guys like Zuberi Mobley and Larry McCammon and others. So you and I are on the same page there. Kevin, of course, as you know, frequent guest of this podcast, we like to end things with a, a fun note. So we're going to go with uh, two questions here. One, uh, you are now, uh, at least according to your bio, a noted hoagie slash sub enthusiast, <laughs> Kevin. I would like to ask you, where have you had the best hoagie slash sub and why was it the best? Oh, boy. There's this uh, place in Boca, uh, VNS Subs. It is just everything about the sub is amazing. You know, from the bread that isn't too hard or like really too soft. It's like the perfect sort of consistency for a sub bread and the, the the lunch meat is fresh and it tastes amazing. The one problem with VNS is that you have to either call ahead or wait in like a 15 minute line because there is no in between. Uh, it, it is not like the world's best kept secret. Uh, everyone sort of knows that it's good. And if you look on Yelp for like sandwich places in Palm Beach County, it's got the top at like 4.8 stars with like 600 reviews. I mean, this is, a place that everyone frequents. So you really have to either call ahead or be willing to wait in a super long line because they also don't do online ordering. So, uh, but it is still just the best out and out sub that I have pretty much ever had. 
Kevin, fun fact, like you, uh, if I had space in my Twitter bio, it would include hoagie and sub enthusiast. And for the <laughs> listeners of this podcast who may not know, Kevin and I bonded. Uh, I mean, we, we bonded, of course, you know, over the press box and joking on each other here and there. But we really bonded by spending, was it, six, seven hours oh, inside of a, uh, a breakfast spot in <laughs> Dallas, Texas, in which we had nothing to do at which point besides just start eating and drinking to uh, patronize the table. So I feel like Kevin and I could do a side podcast on just food. Uh, oh, absolutely. That, that that may be coming in the near future. The second fun question, the last one of the evening for you, Kevin. Uh, in your uh, young life, you did not have the pleasure of seeing Dan Marino lead the Dolphins on Sunday like oh. I did as a very young kid. But nevertheless, I did catch the end of Dan Marino's career. You did not have the uh, pleasure or misfortune if you're a Dolphin fan. I am not, but uh, I can say this as for the purposes of this question that I'm getting to, the misfortune of seeing Jay Fiedler lead the Dolphins offenses uh, in the early 2000s. So, Kevin, as a South Floridian and a Dolphin fan, was Sunday the most exhilarating opening day of your life? Oh, my God. Like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I don't think I've ever been so excited to watch an offense score 13 points but look competent because as a Dolphins fan, there has not been much competency going on on offense, Uh, you know, between the really bad offensive lines and the poor quarterback play and the uh, abysmal coaching to have a staff that looks like they can win a football game at a consistent rate is arguably the most encouraging thing that that Dolphins team has ever given me. And they made the playoffs twice in my lifetime. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really a very sad uh, time as a Dolphins fan sometimes because you're like, we made the playoffs once and then got blown out by the Steelers with Matt Moore as your quarterback or, <laughs> Hey, we were really good that one year and nothing came of it. <laughs> so to have an offense that looks like it's really good and to have a player like Tyree Kill, who's one of the most dynamic playmakers of all time, is one of the most encouraging and excitable uh, or exciting things to to come for for myself as a Dolphins fan. Absolutely. Kevin, it's so ironic. Uh, I talk to younger <laughs> Dolphins fans like yourself, and it's just weird. And I'm not even saying this in a in a, in a rubbing it in way. It just truly is ironic how um you know the buccaneers are like the model of consistency in the state of florida as a franchise because when i was growing up it was the dolphins like the dolphins fans looked down on bucks fans is like yeah who are you jokers and now it's just weird how uh the times have changed it's never it's it's also it's also really funny because the bucks haven't been consistent up until like three years ago right right (laughs) because before that go ahead go ahead kevin before that, they were about as bad as the Dolphins were in a lot of ways because they didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have consistent offensive coaching. So many things that you know we clown the Dolphins for. The Bucs had the same problems. And then they got Tom Brady and won a Super Bowl. And that's all we could talk about because they're the most successful Dolph- or team in Florida since that point outside of like the one Jaguar season where they made it to the <laughs> AFC Championship game. Outside of, let's see, this is going back – First grade to fifth grade, sixth grade for me, uh, the Tony Dungy years, followed by the years yep. of, of, of incompetence that Kevin just referenced. Uh, yeah, it's been a weird existence as a Bucks fan and one that, you know, now Dolphins fans uh, have lived for the better part of 20 years, but it is coming around via uh, Tyreek Hill. So things are looking up again. 
Want to thank the FAU site publisher for Owls 247. Of course, does a phenomenal job covering the American for Underdog Dynasty. And also, I neglected to mention his work covering preps there in South Florida for New Era Prep, Mr. Kevin Fielder. Kevin, always appreciate your time. And uh, actually, I, I would say I would see you Saturday, but I, I will not because you'll be working. I'll be drunk somewhere in the, uh, <laughs> uh, the grounds of FAU Stadium. But uh, some, of us, <laughs> some of us have a game to cover this weekend. <laughs> I don't know the feeling, Kevin. I don't. I, I don't know what you're talking about, to be honest with you. <laughs> appreciate you making the time Kev. absolutely man anytime all right you heard that interview with myself and kevin fielder always appreciate kevin for coming on gonna toss it to the second part for our fau audiences previewing the nights with trace trolko of the sons of ucf podcast appreciate trace for coming on and uh here's our interview all right shula bull pod fans as i mentioned in the intro we have a special guest who preview the FAU matchup this week. Of course, FIU is on a bye week after the loss at Texas State, but the Florida Atlantic Owls will be in action. They are taking on the UCF Knights, and we have a special guest to help us take a preview of the Knights. He is Mr. Trace Trilico. You can find him on Twitter at SignPez, that is S-E-I-N, as in Seinfeld, and P-E-Z, Trace. Uh, or actually, really quick, I should also, before I say how are you doing, I cannot forget the fact that he is the one of the hosts of the illustrious Sons of UCF podcast. For my money, the top UCF, uh, try this, the Sons of UCF uh, show, not even a podcast, but it's a, it's a show in general. And for my money, it's the best UCF show out there. He hosts alongside UCF Mike and Adam. Trace, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for the nice introduction. I appreciate it. And good to be joining you. Absolutely. No, I, I know you don't do a ton of this. So I appreciate you making the time and really want to kind of jump into things. Of course, for those of you who caught the, the opening episode, we broke down the Owls win over southeastern Louisiana. Most notably in that win were the fact that a lot of players were missing uh, especially on the defensive side, Evan Anderson, the big defensive tackle, Jalen Joyner and others. And Trace, I, I want to start right there. I think one of the uh, big strengths, and I, I guess I'll ask you as to how much of a strength that is, is considered to be the UCF rushing attack. Uh, just talk about that a little bit, because obviously with FAU missing some players on the defensive line, Willie Taggart said in his presser earlier today that you know it's, it's going to be day to day to see how many of those guys are back. Just talk about the Knights rushing attack a bit. Well, going into the season, and Knights now 1-1 one and one after the 2014 loss to Louisville on Friday, this considered a deep running back room, going to be one of the strengths of the team, and kind of a mixed bag through two games. Of course, uh, wide receiver turned quarterback. Uh, uh, the, the leading rusher is John Rice Plumley, And then you have a one-two punch, very distinct styles in Isaiah Bowser, more of the, uh, you know, the uh, ground and pound guy. And then the speedster, Johnny Richardson, who against Louisville, 47 yards rushing on five carries, more than nine yards uh, per carry uh, average. But uh, as asked of head coach Gus Malzahn, uh, what are you going to do to get him more touches? Because uh, this is a guy that can uh, fly around, but perhaps Isaiah is a bit stronger as a blocker. Uh, so that's why you see more of him. But uh, Knights with a deep running back room, but so far it's been John Rice Plumley moving around as well, Isaiah Bowser and Johnny Richardson. 
going to piggyback right off of what you said there, Trace, in terms of the fact that the Knights are coming off a loss. And, you know, it depends on who you ask amongst Knight Nation. A bit of a disappointing loss to Louisville, seemingly a game that they had their opportunities to win. And I, I think it's a, a bit of an interesting matchup for both teams. UCF coming in at one and one heading to what would be considered, what should be considered, quite frankly, a, a lesser opponent in Florida Atlantic of Conference USA, who are also, uh, excuse me, they're two and one. They were one and one, but they came off their own disappointing loss at Ohio. Trace, can you kind of just bring us into the feeling uh, around the UCF uh, fan base a little bit? How are they feeling at one and one? And what's the feeling heading into FAU week? Because, you know, if you flip it to the other side, some Owls fans would certainly say that they were much more looking forward to this matchup, uh, the prospect of them being three and oh, as opposed to two and one. Ah, uh, you know, Night Nation, Eric, after 2017, <laughs> they expect to win every game and anything short of that is doom and gloom. However, there were some things in that Louisville loss that were carryovers from the win, opening night win over uh, South Carolina State, uh, namely uh, some challenges along the offensive line, penalties. The Knights with 10 penalties against South Carolina State. Uh, Coach Malzahn said that they needed to clean that up, and then they came back against Louisville with 11 penalties for 111 yards, so not cleaned up. And these aren't just penalties. They're costly penalties that have uh, brought back touchdowns. And and, and in a close game, uh, you know, those penalties play all the difference in the world. Special teams, uh, senior kicker Daniel Barsky with a missed 32-yard field goal uh, against Louisville, which could have put the Knights up 17-7 to in the game um, and, and the Knights offense stalling. And then, uh, you know, with the issues along the offensive line, it's, uh, you know, the Louisville was just crashing through the line, putting pressure on quarterback John Rice Formley. He under five, uh, 50% uh, passing completion, 16 of 34. So uh, there were some, some challenges in that, and, uh, you know, amongst the fan base. Uh, again, those that you hear on social media and on message boards, uh, the sky may be falling. Uh, you know, this is a game for FAU. You mentioned maybe a talent disparity and, and FAU, you know, wanting to show, hey, we can knock off the Knights. I mean, look at the parity across college football over the weekend. Appalachian State, Marshall, you know, and FAU, that would be a signature win for them. Uh, Knights have done well against the Owls in the past, but uh, UCF fans, not quite sure what they have. I looked at the South Carolina State game as a bit of a preseason game. And that the season really began with Louisville. Of course, conference play is the most important thing. The Knights have FAU return home with Georgia Tech of the ACC. But the confidence of the fan base taking a little bit of a hit after seeing some issues that were problems in game one, a win, carry over to game two, a loss. And now the Knights are one and one. What to make of the team? I'm not quite sure. Hopefully those things get corrected before Saturday when the Knights travel down to Boca. Again, if you're just joining us, we are joined by Mr. Trace Trilico. He is one of the hosts of the Sons of UCF podcast. Trace did out me, although regulars of this podcast are familiar with the fact that uh, I am a UCF alum, but I will out myself. Uh, this is the one week that I, I will not be unbiased. I will be at the stadium in black and gold. So uh, unfortunately, we have not found a regular FAU representative to replace Shane Marinelli, and uh, I am not going to be able to do my best to uh, fulfill that role this week. And we all know Mr. David Handel won't as well. Nevertheless, uh, I'm going to at least try to do the FAU preview to the best of my unbiased ability as possible. So, Trace, uh, my next question for you is this. When I take a look at this quarterback matchup, and again, you talk about John Rice Plumley a little bit. 
kind of still getting settled in, maybe, you know, somewhat of a, a better fit for the Gus Malzahn offense, quote unquote, than Mikey Keene. But flipping to the FAU side, I'm wondering if Gus Malzahn has at all spoken about the uh, the challenges that they'll face. And a veteran quarterback in Nikosi Perry, of course, who began his career at Miami, former four-star recruit, and is off to a pretty solid start to the year. Just wondering if Gus Malzahn or if you know anyone in the Knights staff has spoken about some of the challenges they anticipate facing from the FAU offense. The way UCF sets up its media availabilities, the game on Friday night, so offensive coordinator, quarterback coach Chip Lindsey, as well defensive coordinator Travis Williams addressed the media on Saturday. When asked about FAU, both of them said they hadn't really had any opportunity on Saturday to have looked at FAU at all, that they were still reviewing the, the film from the Louisville game. So, uh, you know, that seems rather logical based on the, uh, the game schedule. And then during the Monday media availability, Coach Malzahn touched briefly on FAU's quarterback, uh, you know, more in light of the fact that the Knights did a pretty good job uh, with quarterback Malik Cunningham, uh, you know, of Louisville. I mean, he got his yards. There's no doubt about it. But th- these were self-inflicted wounds by the Knights that really caused their problems. But Malik Cunningham, 127 yards on the ground. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know what he can do with his legs. He scored a touchdown. And, you know, I mean, not too uh, spectacular through the air, 14 to 29, 195 yards, um, you know, but he did enough uh, to, you know, help lead Louisville back from that early deficit. And I think the Knights feel pretty good defensively. I'm looking at both sides of the ball here. The Knights feel better about their position defensively. <laughs> at this point, after two games, they feel like they've gotten good back-to-back performances. The defense kept turning the ball back to the offense. Offense just couldn't do anything with the possession. So I think the Knights feel confident, not overlooking FAU, but they don't know what to expect, whether the offense has improved upon the issues that they faced the first two games. I'll ask you two more questions. We'll get you out of here, Trace. Uh, you did talk about the fact that the offense is, you know, facing some challenges in, in terms of kind of, you know, getting things up to speed with John Rice Plumley. Uh, I, I do want to ask you one more defensive question, though. And again, this is not necessarily in specificity to FAU, but just, uh, you know, kind of in general, you want to take it to UCF. FAU fans would probably say that the strength of their team right now is the rushing attacks. Barry Mobley had 146 yards and 20 carries last week. Larry McCammon also had 125 yards. It appears that they're finally getting that depth that they've had in, in previous years when they were successful under Lane Kiffin. Can you talk about the UCF defense and particularly the front seven a little bit and maybe what FAU fans will have to look forward to, you know, guys like Ricky Barber and some of the other guys there in the front seven who will be you know, obviously have the task of shutting down the FAU run game. Yeah, the Knights went into this season uh, with question marks at linebacker. Again, I'm not sure that all of those questions have been answered through two games, but it's generally thought that the defensive line as well as secondary were the strengths of the defense. And again, uh, the defense did what it needed to do. You know, I had a a broken coverage on on a very long Malik Cunningham uh, rushing touchdown, uh, that one score that he had. But I feel that uh, the defense... Uh, has accounted for itself after two games pretty stout along the line again louisville got its yardage but they were on the field a lot and they kept getting louisville uh you know to turn the ball back over uh to the knights offense so i I think fau has a challenge on its hands uh with the knights defense but if the knights offense struggles it keeps fau in this game longer 
And that's, I think, what concerns Knights fans is the, the, the longer, and that's what the, was the case against Louisville. You know, UCF held that lead for a while, but just didn't do anything with its possessions. And at halftime, Louisville made necessary adjustments. But specifically to your question, I feel like the Knights defensive line has been pretty stout, and that'll be a challenge for FAU to uh, to, to move the ball on the Knights. Regular listeners of this podcast know that we like to end things with our guests on a bit of a fun note, and we've gone the music route the past few weeks, so I'm going to flip it to one of my other go-to questions I like to ask uh, fellow you know, journalists, media members, et cetera, people who cover teams. Trace, what is, and I'm putting you on the spot here, this is probably a question that's going to be out of left field that you didn't anticipate, but that's what makes it fun. What is the most memorable press conference of your illustrious career? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, Thanks, Trace. Something I've done or something I've seen uh, happen during a press conference? Um, huh. Let's go with something you've seen. Well, there's, of course, the question asked of uh, Knights head coach Gus Malzahn of his Auburn stint at his introductory press conference when the local NBC affiliate sportscaster uh, asked him about the pressure cooker that was night nation and, and got seemed to roll his eyes a bit because he had been in the ultimate pressure cooker, uh, in Auburn. And then of course, uh, I don't want to throw any of my fellow media members under the bus, but, uh, Gus was asked earlier during preseason camp about, there was a song that epitomized the, the mood of the team. <laughs> Gus did not like that question, but, uh, I just revealed this that, uh, uh, I got I got a bit of an eye roll, a bit of a, a glare from men's basketball coach at UCF, Johnny Dawkins, when after a loss, a sizable loss to Memphis, I asked him if his team was intimidated by the Memphis press defense, and Coach Dawkins did not like the word intimidated. So I got a I got a look for that one. Probably a word choice that I might have, if I could have had back, I would have had to, would have not said that quite the way I said it. So. Uh, I hope those are some examples that will answer uh, that question effectively. Those are all sufficient answers. Uh, Again, as regular listeners of this podcast know, uh, I think the most memorable of my career was one that didn't even get off the ground. Uh, Last year's FIU loss to Marshall that sent them to 0 and 6 and officially ended their, uh, or 0 and 7, officially ending their uh, chance at a bowl. And, you know, when I I went to start the the press on the road as I normally would, then Coach Butch Davis said, Eric, I'll talk to you on Tuesday proceeded his way and and left me with a uh, a nice evening <laughs> in Huntington, West Virginia without quotes. Shout out to Jason Corrier, the Marshall SID, for allowing me to view their presser so I had something to roll with. But again, uh, Trace, cannot thank you enough for making the time. Again, uh, if you are interested in finding out more about the Knights, listen to the Sons of UCF podcast and their show on Twitter. Trace, really appreciate it, my man. Thank you much, Eric. Appreciate it. And uh, hope to catch up with you again soon. Absolutely. All right. Glad you've made it through the entire episode. We've got the recap of FIU Texas State in the can. We've got my preview of FAU UCF. We've got Kevin's preview. Of course, we're getting the FAU side of things. And then, of course, uh, Mr. Trace Trollico coming in and giving the UCF side of things. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for um, always leaving your commentary. We will try to get this out as often as we can. As we mentioned, have a rotating crew of FAU guests, whether it's Jake Elman, Zach Weinberger, Kevin Fielder. Hey, listen, FAU fans, anyone else wants to hop on the mic, like hit us up because we are more than happy to 
have FAU voices on throughout the offseason. But as always, you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find David on Twitter at Mr. Handel 321. You can find the Shulable Pod, almost like you can find Shane on Twitter. You can find the Shulable Pod on Twitter at Shulable Pod. And last but not least, the host of this podcast, Five Reason Sports Network at the number Five Reason Sports. Thank you for listening. Happy football watching. And we will recap the FAU-UCF game next week and also preview FIU in Western Kentucky and FAU in Purdue.